All right. Hey, welcome to Beach Point. My name is Bill Stafiri. I'm the senior pastor here at Beach Point. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, uh, I'm excited. We're starting today a brand new series called Scent. And, and I think if you uh, kind of got a feel of it from the second song we, we sang, it's, it's really going to be a prayer, I think, for us this, this month that God would give us his heart for this world, that, that we would somehow see and sense the unique way in which we've been sent back into the world. And I think it's a really important prayer for us and an uh, important message because I think for many of us, what we find sometimes in the church is that we, we kind of get restless and bored. Uh, we, we are kind of going through the motions. We try to pay attention. We try to sing the songs. We try to clap on cue or whatever it is. We, we behave and try to do the things we're supposed to do and not do the things that we're not supposed to do in hopes that if we get into heaven or when we get into heaven, that the scolding won't be that bad. And I think when we think like that, uh, we, we feel like something is missing, that there, this can't be all there is to it. There's got to be something more. And when I think, when I, when I sense uh, uh, we start to feel that, uh, I, I'm reminded when I was in college, I, I heard a story uh, from the early 80s. There was a man named Larry who I think had the same kind of restlessness to him. He wanted to be a pilot. And every attempt he made to become a pilot, he failed at. And so uh, Air Force, other things, he just, everything was no, no, no. And so finally, Larry took matters into his own hands. And on uh, one day, he and his girlfriend went to an Army-Navy surplus store. He bought 75 weather balloons. He filled them with helium and tied them to a lawn chair that he bought at Sears. He then attached that lawn chair to the bumper of his truck. He put together a backpack of all the necessities you would need for a trip like this, which was a couple peanut butter sandwiches, a six-pack of beer, a BB gun, and a parachute just in case he would need it. And the idea was that they would, un, uh, they would loosen him from the bumper. He would gently kind of raise to about 100 feet in the air. He'd kind of take in the neighborhood and the, the general vicinity. And then when he was ready after a little while, he'd pop one of the balloons with the BB gun and gently descend back down to the earth. And so Larry mounted himself into his chair, his friends and, and everyone around. They un- uh, uh, tied him from the bumper. The only problem was Larry didn't gently ascend to 1,000 feet. He rocketed to 16,000 feet. He was three miles in the sky before authorities figured out uh, what was going on. And the way they figured it out and what they found out was when a TWA uh, airplane pilot radioed him in. So you got to imagine what it would have been like to be in the tower and you hear this, uh, Tower, we've got an unidentified flying object up here in our airspace. It appears to be a man in a lawn chair, and he's holding a rifle. Uh, I mean, this was the real call that went out. And so, of course, all the authorities, the press get wind of it. Everyone is kind of wondering what's going to go on. And so finally, Larry, in complete desperation, decides to take a, a shot. After 45 minutes, he shoots one of the balloons. He shoots a couple enough to, he starts to actually descend down. He comes down in over Long Beach. He, his uh, uh, contraption hits some power wires. He uh, blacks out a part of Long Beach. Uh, he climbs down onto the ground to receive a $4,000 ticket for being an unauthorized aircraft uh, uh, in that place. He, he was able to talk it down to 1500 But of course, the big question everybody wanted to know was this. Why? <laughs> Larry, why? Why in the world would you do such a thing? And his response created a, a ton of reflection in people. Uh, his response was simply this. Well, a man can't sit around all day, can he? 
this restless heart is how I think a lot of us feel. We're just kind of, we're here, we're sitting, we're going through the motions, and there's something in us that feels like there's more. We're called to something more. And, and, and I want you to see something that, that really what it means, uh, as Brian was mentioning, to be followers of Jesus means this, that we are, we are called to follow him, which means we are called to join him in changing the world. Uh, this, this was the story of Peter, right? As Justin shared a few weeks ago, it was fascinating to think about. Here was Peter, through all his failures, settling in on a life of fishing. He'd settled in. This would be his life. He'd make the best of it. But then Jesus got in his boat. And when Jesus gets in your boat, he doesn't leave you just fishing for fish. He invited Peter to fish for people. And this was Matthew's story. Uh, Matthew, in a very similar way, was someone who had kind of settled into a life. He was someone, this is really interesting if you think about it. Here's Matthew. He's a, he's a, uh, uh, a Jewish man who gets hired by the Romans to collect taxes for him. So you can imagine how the Jewish people feel. Think about how you feel about tax people. When, you know, we just got through it all and we feel a little bit like we're over it. But you don't want anyone that takes, you don't like anyone who takes away your money. Right? And so here's Matthew. He's now aligned with the enemy. He's considered a cheat and a thief and a Matthew. Like no one says his name without spitting on the ground. They can't stand the guy until Jesus passes by. And Jesus passes by his booth and Jesus says to Matthew, Matthew, follow me. And it says Matthew got up. He left it all behind. Everything, the, the, the money, the riches, everything that was with it. And in fact, he was so delighted to follow Jesus and that he would be called into this life with him that he threw a party for all his other friends that were kind of pushed out to the margins by everyone. But here's the interesting thing. Think of this. Of all the people that Jesus could have picked to tell his story to the Jewish people, who did he pick? He picked Matthew. You ever thought about that? The gospel of Matthew, the gospel according to Matthew, his story of Jesus' life is targeted at the Jewish people. In fact, there's more references in the book of Matthew to the Old Testament and that the idea that Jesus is the fulfillment, the the uh, uh, long-awaited Messiah they've been waiting for. I mean, Matthew's the one who gets to point them all to it. The very person that that, uh, felt like he had been disowned, Jesus says, Matthew, I pick you to tell my story to the Jewish people. Because this is what happens when you follow Jesus. He invites you to join him in changing the world. This is Tammy's story. Uh, Some of you know Tammy, and uh, 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 she's someone who's been in our church a a number of years. Her kids grew up in the youth group. Uh, But Tammy is someone who went through a, a painful experience of divorce and all the failure that you feel from that, feeling unloved and unwanted, feeling uh, rejected uh, by a spouse, but also wondering how in the world would God want me? And certainly, how could God use me? And as God began, as she has shared her story with us, that, that work in her life to restore her and to remind her that she is beloved by him. Not only has she seen her heart repaired, but she began to see that, that in the same way that Jesus was excited still to use her. In fact, there was a part of her life that, that started to really stand out. The fact that Tammy isn't afraid to care for people. And so whether it was our kids in some kind of daycare or, or uh, elderly people that she would help take care of or all the different things, Tammy had a heart to care for people. 
But also now as someone, once her kids were out of the house as an empty nester, that, that she really didn't have restrictions on her life. And so she'd be off to Mexico to serve with our team. She'd be off to Haiti to serve with our team. When we invited, we kind of threw out a Hail Mary kind of pass to the congregation and say, hey, we've got missionaries in the Philippines. They need one person to come over and homeschool their kids uh, for six months. Tammy said yes and went for a year and a half. And now Tammy is months away from leaving here and moving to northern Africa to live in this little country called Chad. Because in Chad, there's a a, a part of Chad, it's basically called an unreached, unengaged part of the world. Unreached meaning that there are very few believers and unengaged because there are very few people. In fact, really, there's no one really going to this part of the world to bring the good news of Jesus Christ. But Tammy's a part of a very small team that believes God has sent her there. And they, through a medical clinic and through other things that they will be doing, they will be bringing the good news of Jesus there to this place. And where there was darkness, there will be a little bit of light. And they are confident that God will begin this movement, a disciple-making movement. And when once that begins, then she will step back and ask him, what do you have next for me? See, this is what it means to follow Jesus. To follow him means to join him in changing the world. Now think about this, that at the very beginning, uh, when Jesus rises from the grave and he gathers with his disciples, this was what he said to his disciples. One of the great stories, we didn't get a chance to look at it in these past weeks as we were looking at some of the risen stories, is the story that night when Jesus appears among his disciples. But it's fascinating to think about when Jesus first appears to his disciples, where are they? They are locked away in a room. They are trying to keep the world out. And Jesus comes, he appears among them, and listen to these words. I'll put them here on the screen from John 20. It says this, that on the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. At the very heart of Jesus' message in that beginning time was to, to meet them in that lock room and say, I'm going to give you the power of my spirit and I'm sending you back into the world. And you and I, we are here today because they went. Because as Jesus sent them, they went into the world, they changed their world and that world has continued to change until we have gotten here today. I don't know, have you thought about this? You are here today because someone was sent to you. Maybe it was family, maybe a friend, a coworker, or maybe a student in one of your classes. But you're here today because someone was sent to you. Now, I didn't grow up in church, and so when, when I began to understand someone being sent to me, my first reaction was when they came to me was, this is intrusive and bothersome and annoying But I was in darkness. I didn't quite understand what it was that God was trying to do. But once I I understood who Jesus was and what he was doing, I began to see those people sent to me as courageous and loving. I was thankful. I was blessed. 
See, in our neighborhood, there was one family that, that saw themselves as being sent to our neighborhood. Despite the fact that everyone was resistant, they continued to care and love our neighbors. Now, what they could have done is they could have hid back. They could have locked the doors. They could have said, look, our neighbors are kind of trashy and, and do a lot of stuff. And we were. But, and so let's stay safe in this night. We've got a, this, this, we have a safe spot. And on Wednesdays and Sundays, we rush to the van and then we drive to church. But don't talk or look at anyone. And then we'll get back here and we'll, call, we'll lock all the doors again and we'll, we'll be safe. When my family went through a, a, a very difficult divorce, they could have easily said, stay away from the Stafiris. They don't understand family values. Let's hide the kids. Let's hide the family. Instead, they prayed for us. They cared for us. They helped with day, uh, daycare and watching us, provided meals, and they invited us here to Beach Point. And see, I started to, to, to realize this. I started to see something in, in this, that not only was God speaking to them and caring about them and, when he was sending them to, to me and to my family, but what I began to realize as someone being sent to how much God cared about me. He didn't want me in darkness. He didn't want me being deceived. He didn't want me lost. And so he loved me enough to send someone for me. And I began to see, wow, thank you, Lord. You really do care. And you really do want to see. And, and, and so I want to encourage you, I, I, I think for all of us, when we see and we sense in some ways that someone came for us, how much the, that the God of the universe has targeted in and been thoughtful of you and wanted to make sure you would know his life and his love now and forever. And so the people, the people of Jesus have been sent into the world. And it's important that we embrace this because this is the identity of Jesus and this is the identity of, of his followers. You see, at the very heart of God is, is that he is ascending God. See, the Father sent the Son, and the Father and Son sent the Spirit, and the Father, Son, and Spirit now send the church into the world. To be sent is what it means to belong to him. And he has sent Jesus for us, and now we have been sent back into the world. So let me ask this question. Uh, how many of you think, let's just say possibility, okay? We'll just say it 50-50. You could envision yourself someday being a full-time missionary. Raise your hand. Okay, so one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Okay, I got ten. This is the highest that we had. We went from one to three to ten, which is which is okay. It's pretty good. So let me. So let's think about this for a second. So the word missionary comes from the Latin word missio, which means to be sent. So a missionary is a sent one. So let's backtrack. Jesus enters into the upper room. He sees his followers and he says, guess what? As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. So if you belong to me, you have been sent. Guess what? Congratulations. If you belong to him, you are a full-time missionary. You can add that to your business card later today or, or your Facebook profile or whatever you want to do. But each of us who are following Jesus have been called full-time. We have full-time been sent back into the world. And see, this is the problem because sometimes what we do is we look at the, the folks who seem to have a little extra courage, a little extra boldness. They're willing to go to some exotic part of the world, and those are the sent people. 
And what happened a, a, a number of years ago is a missionary from India came back and he realized that in Europe and North America that something had happened, that in the church what had happened is we had seen that those few people that would raise their hand, the church was willing to say, good, you are the ones that are sent by God. And the rest of us will, will kind of help you along the way. But everyone else kind of remained where they were. And the church stopped seeing itself as being sent and sent out the professionals. Hasn't worked out very well, has it, for Europe or North America as far as the development of faith. And the reason that they saw, I said, that what changed is we had stopped seeing ourselves as being people sent in the world. And we started sending out just the specialized ones. Guys, if we belong to Jesus, then we are sent into the world. And so the, this month, what I want us to see is I want us to figure out what does that look like? What will, will it mean for us to, to live as, as sent people and live sent lives? And, and so think about this. It's important that you, you embrace this. The, the last two weeks, we looked at, uh, for a number of weeks since Easter, we've been looking at all these stories of Jesus for the 40 days after he rose. He kept meeting with his disciples. He kept giving them instructions. He kept speaking to them about his kingdom. But particularly, as we see in the one that we've already seen today, and then the two that we've talked about the last two weeks, if you weren't here the last two weeks, the last two times Jesus spoke with his disciples, we saw this consistent message. He said this, we saw in what we call the Great Commission. He said, go, you're going to go into all the world and make disciples. And remember what he said, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. He says, you're gonna, I need you, as you go into the world, make disciples. He was calling us to get into the world, make disciples, and he says, and I will be there with you. And then last week we saw the, the same thing before he ascends into heaven. He says uh, to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. See, again, I will give you the power, but I'm sending you back in the world, and you will share about what I have done through your actions, through your words. You will, you will, be, you will be the people I am sending back in the world. You're my ambassadors. And so as Jesus ascends to the throne, as he becomes king, he makes us as ambassadors to, to help bring peace, the world back with him. This is who he is, and this is what he wants. 42 times the people of the scriptures, the, the, the followers of Jesus, are described or prescribed as being sent ones. You're either described as being people sent into the world, or you're being called to be people sent back into the world. This is very important to our very identity of what it means to follow him. And so I want us to, to, to think about this. But at the very heart of it, what I want you to embrace today is this, is that it all comes from the love that God has for us. This is at the heart of Jesus, that Jesus was willing to lay down his life so that we could have eternal life. So this is not so much about us thinking, okay, we got to get out and do, do, do. But when we see that all of this stems from, from belonging to someone who is willing to lay down his life, to lose his life for our sake so that we could gain life. When we see that, we see the beauty of what it means to be sent. So let me invite you. I, I want us to turn uh, this morning to a passage. It's uh, John chapter 12. Would you turn with me to John chapter 12? And I want to look at just a, a, a quick couple of verses that will just lead us into a, a final kind of way to, to end our service together. John chapter 12. 
And just to help you understand what's going on here a little bit, right before this was an incredible miracle. Jesus raised his friend Lazarus from the dead. And as you can imagine, a miracle like that, I mean, it gets people buzzing. It gets people stirring. People are talking. But see, when Jesus moved into this region to do this miracle, it was an important move because what Jesus was doing, he knew it was the end of his ministry, which meant he was coming to the end of his life. He knew that to come into this region meant ultimately to go to Jerusalem, which meant to go to the cross, which meant to give his life in death. And so as he comes in, he does this miracle. And then right after this miracle, he's having dinner. And the sister of Lazarus comes and she breaks open this, this uh, jar of perfume. And there's kind of this debate over whether or not she should have done it or they should have saved the money and given it to the poor. But Jesus commends her, says this story is going to be told all over the world. But we have this interesting note that she did it to prepare his body for burial. Jesus is absolutely committed to giving up his life. And so the days come and he enters into Jerusalem. He sits on a, on a donkey. He enters into the gates. And like we sang in the first song, they're all screaming, Hosanna. They're praising, here comes the one who's going to save us. Here comes the Messiah. And so there's an incredible buzz about Jesus as he enters in. But he knows what's coming. And so in all the enthusiasm, one of the things that happens is people have come from all over to celebrate the Passover, and there are some Greeks that are there. They've come, and they've come to, to be a part of the festivities. They've heard the stories of what he's done. He's raised someone from the dead, and so they're hoping to maybe have some audience with him. They can ask questions. They can, they can be with him. And so they go to one of his disciples and ask if they can, they can speak with him. And you can imagine his entourage kind of excited. His popularity is growing outside of Jerusalem, now to the world. And so Philip goes to Andrew. Philip and Andrew go to Jesus, and Jesus gives this response. Notice what he says. Here's how he responds to this moment. He says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Very truly, I tell you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. Anyone who loves their life will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. And where I am, my servants also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. So in this moment, think about what Jesus is saying. In this moment, Jesus is, is doing something quite incredible. In fact, he says, the hour has come. And when he says the hour, he's speaking about his death. Because all these times up to this moment, there's been times where it says his hour was not yet. His hour did not come. His hour had not come. And so when every time it speaks of the hour, it's speaking of the moment where he would give his life in death. And so now it says the hour has come. He's going to give his life. And in giving his life, he will be glorified. God will receive glory. But then Jesus does something interesting. He announces this. They don't quite understand what's happening. And so he, he confuses them maybe a little bit more. And he gives them a parable about uh, a, a seed, a grain of wheat. And he says, think about this. And when, whenever Jesus tells a parable, what he's doing is he's laying two truths side by side. And so he's giving you a kind of a, an example, but he's trying to illustrate a, a truth that he wants you to see. And he says, think about a seed. You don't get anything from the seed until you plant it in the ground. But once it, it's planted in the ground, what happens is the seed actually dies. 
And it breaks open and everything that's inside that seed, all that potential for life comes forth. It breaks forth. And when that seed dies, life comes. And what he's saying is, I'm that seed. And when I, I'm going to come and, and, and when I give my life, you're going to be upset, but don't be. Because when I give my life, when that seed dies, life will come. And he knows in the giving of his, of his life is the gaining of our life. But here's the, here's the thing that I want us to draw ourselves in on today. I think that's important. Not only do we see how powerful what he's willing to do for us is, but notice what he then does. He turns the conversation to those of us who would follow, and he says, that's the same way it will be with my disciples. The ones who follow me understand this. They are willing to lay down their lives because the ones that hold on to life that aren't willing to give up their life, they'll, they'll, they'll lose their life. But the ones who are willing to give up their life for my sake, those will be the ones who will find life, life that's eternal, never ending. And notice what he says, if you belong to me, you would do this. And my father will honor those who do this. And he's helping set a tone They don't quite understand what he's about to do, but once they experience the cross, once they experience his resurrection, once they experience that life, they will understand now that to belong to him is to be sent into the world. To belong to him is to lay down our lives only to find that we actually get it all over again, that we gain real life. It's kind of countercultural, right? Because everything you are being told is to fight for your rights to fight for your life, to, to build or protect, but it's all about you and your empire and build and, and save and protect and push everything else away. And Jesus is saying, guys, if you belong to me, you're gonna have to watch what I'm gonna do because I'm gonna lay my life down. But in laying my life down, I can give you now eternal life. But here's what I want you to understand. I need you also to lay your lives down. And I know it sounds like you're giving up life. But if you will just trust me, here's my promise to you. I'm actually going to give you more life than you would find on your own. I will actually lead you to life that is more abundant than you could ever create for yourself. But you'll only get there by trusting me. I know it sounds counterintuitive, but I promise in you, if you want to gain life, you have to lose it. And so I want to give you guys a big idea for this series. I want you to see something that that we're talking about, that sent people aren't afraid of gaining by losing. Sent people aren't afraid of gaining by losing. I, I want you to see during this month that you are going to be invited to give your life away. But in doing so, you will find real life, a real life-giving purpose, real life-giving effects. I know a number of you have been going through the, the Bonhoeffer uh, class with us, and, and, and you probably have come across this line. But remember, Bonhoeffer said this. He said, when Christ bids a man to follow, he bids him come and die. Following Jesus is about laying down our lives and trusting that we get new life in following him. We gain by losing and sent people as we are, are going to understand that. So I just want you to think about a couple things. So what might it cost you if you are sent 
by losing. I want you to consider as we think about how this month, I want your heart to start getting around a couple things. Here's a couple things that you should be prepared for. If we're willing to gain by losing, if, we, if we're going to live as sent people, you are going to lose uh, or it will cost you people uh, you love. It will cost you people you love. And here's what I mean by that. I, I don't mean you will lose friends and things like that, but people will say yes to following Jesus and, or, or following his call. And sometimes we have to let them go. Uh, I think of Tammy. I, I don't want her to go. I love Tammy. I think she's awesome. I, I, I mean, I'm sad that she's going. I'm excited and sad. I'm excited and sad. And you feel that. I mean, think about some of you and your friends. And you might have this feeling of, oh, no, I don't want to encourage my friend to go because I like my friend. But your friend feels called, right? And they feel this. And the feeling is, I can't have you go because if you go, then I'll miss you. And there's a sense that I will, I will gain by keeping, But Jesus said, no, 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 lay down your life. You'll actually gain by losing. Let them go, and it's okay. I've seen a number of people. I think when when we planted the Huntington Beach campus, it was like really fun to dream out. It was super sexy on paper, and we're looking at it and talking about it. And then when we did it, man, it was like a punch to the gut. Man, I all these great people that got up and left, people that were like, ah, we're in. And now they all left somewhere else. Great leaders great people. That was really hard. But if I look at that as loss instead of gain for the city of Huntington Beach, then, then and I, if I would have held on to them, that would have been the wrong thing for me. And so you have to be prepared. It's going to cost us that. It's going to cost us our resources. It, it, it will cost you time to be sent to people. It will cost you energy. You're going to have to say no to things that are fun to do and things you like to do because Jesus is saying, hey, can I ask this of you? Can I, can I nudge you in this direction? And you're going to have to make decisions about my time and his, his requests. And you're going to have to be willing to lay things down. It's going to cost us in our resources. Uh, financially, it costs us. You're going to see, uh, one of the things I love about this church is that very, very generous. If you come tonight, you'll see some ways that that is being uh, uh, played out. Uh, partnerships all over the globe But think about someone like Tammy. Someone like Tammy says, I'm willing to go to a part of the world that really, let's be honest, probably none of us are going to go to uh, or even could go to. And Tammy's willing to go to it. Well, Tammy needs some of her basic necessities met. She needs help. Uh, She's going to live on very little in a very small place, very humble circumstances, but she's going to need some help from the the people helping to send her out. And so I want to encourage us. She's not quite there yet. I want to encourage us. She's still a little short. So I'm going to, I, this is a family moment. So if you're just visiting Beach Point, don't, I, I, I rarely do this, but I'm going to ask just the family. Can we have a family discussion real quick? So Tammy, Tammy's about, I think, thirteen dollars to $1,500 a month short. That's unacceptable, right? So here's all it would take. About 30 people or families to give $50 a month. Now I know for some of you, like $50, how could I afford that? Others of you are like, $50. Like, that's embarrassing that I would even not do that, okay? I would not ask you to do anything that I'm not willing to do. Kim and I have already committed to this. But when we just put it in this kind of simple language, we say, that's, this is doable. There's 10 families. There's 10 units here, 10 people in this, in this service that could probably say, I could do that. In fact, I want to be a part of the disciple-making movement in, in an unreached people group in northern Africa. Like, that'd be crazy. 
So here's what I ask you to do. If you're willing to do that, would you write on a Connect card, uh, I want to help support Tammy, put it in the red bucket, and we will send you the information of how you can do that. You can go on beachpoint.com, go on the missions page. There's a lot of navigating, but it's there too, okay? But I want to encourage us. We, it costs us to live as sent people. I, I think you guys understand this. If our, these young people going to high school, college feel this calling, don't we as adults want to empower that and say, if they stand and say, hey, I feel called to go to a place like this, don't we want to be behind them and say, absolutely, go. We're, we're 100% behind you. Or are we going to say, uh, boy, now I can't have HBO. What's it going to be for us? So we want to think about this. We wanna, it's going to cost us. I want to make you prepared for that. And, and here's the last thing I want you to think. It's going to cost you comfort. It's going to cost you comfort in that you're going to find that it's going to make you rethink parts of your life. For example, you're going to start seeing your place that you are as a place you've been sent. So your classes, your teams, your job, your social uh, groups, you're going to start recognizing if I'm sent, it's very possible this is a strategic moment for, for Jesus to work. And I'm the person he has for this very time. And you're going to start seeing yourself different. You're going to start seeing your gifts and abilities being able to be used in whole different ways. Because all of a sudden you're going to start to sense that God can use who you are wherever he wants. Here's a perfect example. Some of you know uh, Taylor Lindblom. He's a really talented science teacher, high school science teacher. Well, he married Heidi. Him and Heidi moved to the Persian Gulf to learn Arabic. And I got word yesterday that uh, Taylor's been hired to be a fourth through sixth grade uh, science teacher in a country I can't mention or I'd have to kill you, okay? It's that, it's, it's, it's that dangerous, okay? Now, here's the interesting thing. Heidi has dreamed about being a missionary since she was five years old. Taylor just married Heidi, okay? That wasn't his dream, but his skill is to be a, 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 a science teacher. Guess what is opening doors for these two in the world? It's Taylor's skill to be a science teacher. And so God has put them in a part of the world where he can't put someone like me, and they're going to be used by God for whatever God wants in that place and that time uh, for that purpose. And so here's the really cool thing. I'm not sure how he's going to do it. I'm convinced God's going to raise up a whole team, eight, 10 people from here, and it's going to be engineers or teachers or business people or computer science majors or whatever. But I guarantee you it won't be pastors. But God's going to raise up people like that and put them in places in the world where he needs you. And so when you start to rethink the fact of what it is that God has equipped you with, you start to see that God can use you in amazing ways. And so let's close with this, this idea. Uh, I don't want you to just simply, feel, I don't want you to feel manipulated. I don't want you to feel uh, coerced into this. I just want you to see, and particularly today, I want you to see that we have life, eternal life, because Jesus was sent into this world for us. We have life, eternal life, because Jesus was willing to lose his life for our sake. So here's how I want to close our time together. On the last night of Jesus' life, he took bread and he broke it. 
and he passed it to his disciples, and he told them to eat it. And in doing so, he said, remember, this is my body broken for you. When you eat this bread, remember me. And then he took a cup, and he passed it, and he said that with this cup, he said that this cup was to be shared, and that this cup represented his blood, which was being shed for the forgiveness of their sins. Take and drink and remember me. And so what Jesus did is he gave the church a way to remember that we gain by losing. God gained us by Jesus losing his life for our sake. He broke his body. He shed his blood so that our sins could be forgiven. He would take our place. We wouldn't experience uh, the things that, uh, the punishment that would be ours, the, the discipline, the judgment that would be ours. But that God himself would enter into our place and do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so I want to encourage us this morning. In just a moment, the ushers are going to pass you a tray. And in the tray, there are two cups. Make sure you grab both cups. And, and you're going to give it a little twist. But in just a moment, uh, you will receive cups, a, a little piece of bread and a little uh, uh, juice to, to remember that moment, that night. And what, what we are called to do is, to, as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we, we remember his death until he comes again. And so from, from the, when he died and was risen until he comes again, in this time, we live as sent people. And we do so because he laid down his life. He lost his life for our sake. So I want to draw you into that beauty. Be mindful of that. And if you are not yet a follower of Jesus, here's what I want to encourage you. When the tray comes by, don't, it doesn't have to feel awkward. Grab the cup. There's a little cup holder in front of you. Just place it there. If this morning you want to say to Jesus, I, I don't totally understand all this, but I, what I do understand is that you gave your life for me and I want to be one of your followers, then he will hear you and he will respond to that prayer. And I can remember I, I was about five rows up here. I didn't